Well, hello, good morning, and welcome to First City. My name is Taryn Howe, one of the pastors here on staff. So glad to have you here with us. Uh, before I get into anything I'm going to say, I just need you to know about that video that we showed at camp. In the, what made the ice cream thing even more impressive, okay, was that we had, they had to play a game at first, and if they guessed something right, they got to pick their toppings, but one of the topping options was always awful. So they had, uh, so Tyson, whenever he, the one who won, ate it, he had sauerkraut and sardines in his ice cream. And, I, and jalapenos. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. And I don't, he ate it so fast, I don't think he tasted any of it, though. I mean, it, it was just, it was gone. It was super impressive. But I think we should do that in here some morning. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know if any of you would go for that. Well, I want to say welcome to you. Welcome, everybody, online. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to all of our first-time guests. We are so glad that you're here. You bring us energy. We're so thankful for you. And we want to help you get connected. Savannah mentioned uh, downstairs, we have the welcome desk. Go down there afterwards if you haven't gotten your gift and fill out the information card. We don't do anything weird with your information. We're just going to send you a letter because we want to connect with you. But thank you, thank you for being here. We're in the middle of a series called Parables, and parables are really what it says here, life stories from Jesus. Jesus taught these parables, and they, he would use really common, everyday things that people knew about, and he would teach godly, divine these kingdom of God principles through these very simple parables and stories. And we're in the fourth week of this now, and we've got one more week to finish it up. I'm excited about what we have in store. But let's go ahead, before I get into it, let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the words of Jesus that you've preserved for us that we can see so that we can learn more about you and more about your kingdom and more about your work. God, I pray that every ear listening, everybody, everybody listening to this message would have that fertile soil, would be open ears and open hearts and open minds to, to hear what, not really what I have to say, but what you have to say to them. Lord, I pray that my words would fall short, but that your words would ring true and that our lives would be changed based on what we hear. Thank you for the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're primarily in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, if you want to open up your Bibles there. It's Matthew 24 and 25. And this is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. There was a big teaching at the beginning of Jesus' ministry called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then Matthew 24 and 25, kind of is, it's kind of the bookends of his ministry uh, because Jesus is about to go to the cross, and on the Mount of Olives, he has this teaching. That's why it's called Olivet Discourse, where he goes through, and it, it's really a complicated set of teaching. There's a lot of prophecy in it, but there's uh, about six parables, depending on how you count parables, about six parables in here. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all of them. It would be too much. I am going to try and get through three, which is already a lot, but before we get into it, know that these three parables... Uh, they're divided up in between chapter 24 and 25, and I know we have verses in there, so it makes it look like there's some separation, but there was no real separation in Jesus' teaching. You know, the chapters and verses were added much later for our convenience in reading, but in Jesus' teaching, he ended one parable and then went right into the next one, and then ended that parable and went right into the next one. Almost, you get this picture that he didn't even take a breath in between each one, you know, that he's going straight from one to the next. But all of these parables and all of his teaching here 
is a response to something that the disciples asked, which I believe is a big question that we have too, that, that is asked pretty commonly. And it comes, uh, it comes at the beginning of Matthew uh, 24. That should say Matthew 24, not Mark 24. There is no Mark 24, just so you know. Uh, Matthew 24. <laughs> and it's, it says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So Jesus had already walked into Jerusalem on the you know, Palm Sunday, and this, he later is leaving, walking out with his disciples. His disciples are kind of pointing out, hey, look, the temple, it's beautiful, wonderful. And Jesus is like, look, that temple's going to be gone in a little bit. Now, we actually know this, this happened in 70 AD, so it was about 40 years after this that this happened, that the, the temple was destroyed. And then later, so there's a little gap here in time, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will all this happen? Now, I don't think they were just asking about the temple. I think Jesus was in the middle of talking to them so often about his death, which they didn't fully get, understand yet. Uh, And so I think they were asking about that too. But then they asked this question. This is what I'm talking about. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? What sign will signal the end of the world? And I think this is a question that we've all had at some point. Uh, Jesus teaches so much on this. Now, this, I think it's a question so common. If you Googled this question, you, I think you would find almost infinite, it seems like, information. And it's pretty much all nonsense, right? I mean, it's, most of it's crazy. Now, now I'm going to go through some of these times where you hear about these, these doomsday times of prophecies, uh, and maybe you remember some of these. Some of these you definitely won't remember because it's way too long ago. But these, these are just three common ones that I know. This is the Mayan calendar. Okay, does any, anybody remember this? December 21st of 2012. There was even the movie that came out called 2012. I think it was called 2012. And it was about the end of the world because the Mayans had a calendar that went for 5,125 years. And this was the end of their cycle of the calendar. And so many people believed that's the end of the world. That's when it's going to happen. And panic ensued. I mean, really, this was, if you remember this, it wasn't every, I mean, most people hopefully were, had some common sense, but I think a lot of people were like, I wonder if maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, A guy in China actually built a modern day ark and he spent about $160,000 building this ark replica in order to survive the tsunami or the, you know, they thought there was going to be hurricanes. Some people thought even a planet was going to collide with Earth. All this crazy stuff. I was thinking $160,000 worth of wood right now. I don't know what that would equal. But anyways, that's, that's a different, sorry. Prices, inflation. And then Halley's Comet. Now this one, you probably remember too, maybe not some of you, but 1986. It comes around, the Halley's Comet comes around every 76 years. Now this, in 1986, it was not that big of a deal. We, we had, I think we had wised up just a little bit. But in 1910, 76 years before, people were going crazy about this. Uh, even in the newspaper, it was, they had newspaper headings that were scientists say this is the end of the world. Like somebody's done the math and they figured out in the Bible that this is, this is the end of the world. They thought either the comet was going to collide or that the earth would follow the comet and be, have poisonous gas come in. There was a group in Oklahoma, I'm, this is serious, that that they tried to uh, sacrifice a virgin to ward off the gods. This is 1910 because they thought this was so serious. This is how, 
I'm telling you, it's crazy. Now, here, this one is, this next one is my personal favorite, okay? And I had to, I did a little bit of research because I thought there's no way this is true. But, you know, it's, when it starts off like this, you know it's good, right? <laughs> yeah, this one, this one is just funny. In 1806, in Leeds, England, there was a prophetic chicken, okay? <laughs> prophetic hen. I'm putting that in quotes here. Uh, that laid eggs, and the eggs said, Christ is coming. They said, Christ is coming. Now, they found out, uh, and I'm just sorry for sharing this, I guess, but not really, because I prepared it. So, uh, they found out that the owner of the chicken was writing on the eggs in vinegar or some type of, like, corrosive ink or something, and then reinserting the eggs back into the hen. Yeah, welcome to church, everyone. Okay, so, and, and, and so she, would, she faked this to, to do it, but people in this area, now that would have been much more localized, and, and maybe you can find out I'm wrong, do some, some of your own research on this. I thought this one was, this was pretty funny. This is hilarious. But we hear this every couple of years. You, you wait every couple of years, every 10 years or so, and about every decade, and somebody comes up with a new one. And it's like, okay, now I, I got it figured out. There was, there's one guy who's, who's done the math, and he's found it out probably 10 times, and he keeps being wrong, and people keep believing him. Like, what is going on? But Jesus was very, very clear on this. If, they, if these people would have really just read their Bible, they would know and listened to Jesus. They would know that no one knows when Jesus will return. No, I mean, it, it, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. No one knows. Uh, Jesus, this is just from Matthew 24. All, the, all of this is words of Jesus. Just in one chapter, I've given you some examples. Jesus says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. He said, not even Jesus knows. Now, I believe that Jesus knows now, now that he's in heaven. Some scholars debate that, but that's not really worth a debate. So. Uh, but then he goes on to say, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 24, 50, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. So the disciples start off this chapter asking, Jesus, when is all of this going to happen? And Jesus, I don't know. I mean, he kind of just tells them, it, he, he almost blows them off on this point uh, in that they're thinking about it the wrong way. And so we're going to go through these three parables that are in the end of chapter 24 and both two at the beginning of chapter 25. I'm going to try to go through them as quickly as possible. Just follow along with me, and you'll see a theme that runs through these, hopefully, that we'll talk about at the end. So, Matthew, if you open your Bibles, Matthew 24, 45 through 51. 24, 45 through 51. If you don't have your Bibles with you, hopefully you do, but there's, you can grab sermon notes out of the back of the pews. There's also some in the backs of the balcony, too, if you need it. So, the parable of the two servants. A faithful, sensible servant, this is Jesus speaking, the whole time Jesus speaking. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. So this is an incredibly lavish reward. I mean, this is a huge reward. This is the slave of a master, and he's obedient. When the master comes back, the master gives it all over to him. Very lavish reward. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, 
and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, okay, so you see we have an incredibly lavish reward, but then also an incredibly severe punishment. And all of these you'll see end with this severe punishment. And this really just represents hell. Now, when you look at this, you see that the good servant knew and was expectant. He was prepared for his master's arrival. But the evil servant really didn't believe the master. I would say that he, he was faking that this was really his master even. Uh, one guy that I, uh, John MacArthur says, I, I love his stuff. He says, the second servant, the evil one, is a self-deluded unbeliever who has nevertheless identified with the church. So he's saying, I belong to the church. I belong to Jesus. This is my master. And he, pre he pretends to be serving his master, but Christ really isn't his master. And so it's I, like, I, I look like I, I got it going on. I look like things are okay in my life. I look like I got it figured out, but he's not really my master. And I don't really believe that he's going to return. And so the big takeaway, one of the big takeaways, a lot of takeaways from this is that uh, Christ will return. Christ will return. It, it is going to happen at some time. We don't know. And our responsibility is to be prepared. Our responsibility is to be prepared for this. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, there's a long section of teaching here that really talks about Christ's return. Verses 3 and 4 say, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming? Say, what's going on? I thought Jesus, where's your, where's your savior? Where's your master? And mocking this truth. And our responsibility as followers of Christ, our responsibility as followers of Jesus, who is our master, is to be obedient, right, is, is to be prepared and know and believe that Christ someday will return. It might not be in our lifetime, but someday will return. Okay, so then Jesus goes right into the next teaching. Now, you have to remember, we just got done with, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the next line is, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So he goes into, right into the next parable. And this is the parable of the ten virgins or ten bridesmaids. Uh, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So he says of my return. So Jesus is obviously the groom in this. 
And this is related to us a lot. We see this theme a lot in the New Testament that Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. That someday the groom will return for his bride. Now this whole story kind of to us seems a little, it seems kind of crazy and almost made up. But this was very common for, for weddings at this time and wedding feasts at this time. That the bridesmaids would wait for the groom to arrive and the groom would oftentimes arrive in the middle of the night. It was almost a goal for them to try and see if they could catch him sleeping. So they would arrive in the middle of the night. I know it sounds weird to us. It's weird to me. I don't get it. This is what they did. So, but th this, this is how it was. And so you wanted to be prepared because if the wedding festivities started and you weren't there, you couldn't go in. So you got left out of it, which seems to me, I'm like, come on in, you're late, we don't care, you know, but, but this, is, this is the way that it worked. And the five foolish bridesmaids were not prepared for that. They didn't think forward to that. Now, the big takeaway, I think there's, there's, there's so many takeaways from this, but when Christ, return, when Christ returns, you are responsible for your spiritual condition. When Christ returns... You are the one who is responsible for your spiritual condition. You know, there are some things at the last minute when, when we see that Christ is on his way here, when we hear the trumpet call, when we know that God is, we can't then form a relationship with Christ. It's not like, oh no, now I got to get my life together. Now I got to start, you know... <laughs> I'm like, start reading my Bible some, maybe, or praying or something. What, what do I do? At, at this, and, and the other point of this is that you, you can't borrow some of the things from other people. You know, these, these wise bridesmaids had this extra oil uh, for themselves. To, they were prepared. And some things you can't borrow. You can't borrow character from somebody, and you can't borrow a relationship with Jesus from somebody else. It is only your responsibility. This is something we talk to teenagers about a lot too because I, I talk to my kids about a lot is, listen, uh, I can have my relationship with Christ and that has really, you know, I'm going to try and encourage you. I'm going to try and equip you and challenge you to have that too, but there's nothing I can do in that. This, this is on you. Like you have to have your own relationship and your own walk with Christ. You're, you're not going to be saved based on how holy and wonderful your pastor is. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's based on your relationship with Christ. That's why each person is responsible ultimately for their own development. As a pastor, we're, you know, we're responsible to, the Bible talks about us equipping the, the church. And so there's some responsibility that we have there too, but it's really the spiritual burden for you to grow and have that relationship with Christ is on you. And it's not something that's a last minute thing that you can come in. It's like, well, I know I'm lacking in this area, in this area. And so really the day to begin that is today, right? This, this is the message that we hear. And this is the message that we take away. Okay, so he, he comes from this last line here. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. And then goes right into the parable of the talents. Uh, for Well, before I get too quickly into this, talents made a lot of sense to them. This may sound weird to us. A talent in and of itself was a, a measurement of weight, actually. It was, it was a, this is like I'm saying a pound, a talent. Would, and it typically, talents weighed, talents weighed about, uh, some say 60 to 80 pounds, some say right at about 75. It was the amount that a man could carry, typically. Uh, so a talent, but it, was, it does equate to money because this 
most scholars believe this is a talent of silver, and so it equated to about 20 years worth of wages. So it's a lot of money. Uh, so parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. So that's really important, according to their ability. Keep that in mind. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had received the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me uh, five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Notice that it's the same, it's a different amount of talents. I mean, he doubled it, but it's the same response here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much, over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. So this is where the excuses are coming out here. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more, more be given and he will have an abundance. Sorry, I got a little jumbled up there. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's this same response here at the end. Now, this talents really represents this ability in our life and the way that we're gifted according to God, how he's gifted each one of us. And you can look at this story and you can say, well, that's not really fair because this one guy, he had five talents and this other guy, you know, he got two talents. This other guy got one. Like, why does one person get five? And, and listen, we've already talked about this before. God isn't fair in the way that we think of fairness. God can do as he wishes and as he pleases. And but you see, what God required was not for each person to come back and make as much as the five-talent guy. You know, God doesn't expect the same amount out of each of us, right? I mean, just, just like this parable, we too are gifted in very different ways. Some of you are gifted in things that I am not gifted in at all, and I, I might be gifted in some ways that you are not gifted. God, this is how God built the church, designed the church for us to all use our gifts together to grow the kingdom of God. And so the, the 
the thing we shouldn't do is look at that and say, man, I really wish I had that, and I wish I had this, and I, was, I wish I was more like that. But instead, use what we have and what God has gifted us and double that, right, and grow that. That's the response. So what the, the wicked servant here did, the, the one who had the one talent, is he did nothing. That was the problem. There wasn't even, it wasn't even trying. He just threw it in the, you know, dug up the dirt and threw it in the dirt and just waited for the master to come back. There was no point in even the master even giving him any talent. And so our, our takeaway from this one is in our waiting, we must use our God-given gifts to serve God. In our waiting, we must use our God-given gifts to serve God. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Taryn, this sounds a whole lot like my salvation is based on works and not grace. Did anybody hear that? It's kind of, it does kind of sound like that, that my, my salvation is based on how much I do and not the gift that Jesus has already given me. And I think the f- thing to focus on here is not that the servant didn't do a certain amount of work. He totally refused to do anything. And I would argue that if you have a master that you claim to be your master, but you never do anything the master says, I don't think that he's really your master. Say, I don't know that you're really, is he your master? I mean, you're saying that, but you're not doing any of the things that he's asking of you or requiring of you. Uh, we, we know that we are saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2a, saved by grace. So nobody can boast about it, all the work of God, right? And so that's not what this is, but it's that if you do nothing, then are you really following what God has commanded of you? Are you really living your life for him at all? Do you really even believe, like the, the first parable of the two servants, do you really even believe that he is your master and that he will return? So Jesus, if you, if you remember, we've gone through these three parables, and I know we went, y'all did great because we went through them kind of speedily here, and hope I didn't lose anybody on it. We're back to not Mark again. Uh, but Jesus, remember, this all started because the disciples asked him, when is, when's all this going to happen? When's, when's the end of the world? When's this time? And Jesus really doesn't answer them. He kind of ignores their question a little bit, but instead he answers something much more important because Jesus does this pretty often. He'll almost not even focus on your question, but he'll actually focus on your heart instead and kind of go for the heart issue here. And the real message that I think he's leaving us with is how you live today is more important than what happens tomorrow. How you live today is more important than what happens tomorrow. If your whole life is focused on you know, okay, what's going to happen next? Where is God? When is God returning? He, he did not want their mindset to be on when's God coming back? When's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? Because they would be so bogged down with their thoughts, they wouldn't just live for him. And this is really the, the same thing that I believe Jesus is saying to us and wants us to take away today is, and focus on is what do we do today? But like, what are we doing today? And I don't mean, well, this week I've got this going on. I mean, no, no, today. What, like, what are you doing today? Because we are not guaranteed the next year, week, day, hour, minute. Jesus can come and interrupt this right now. He's Lord. He gets to do that. And so he, he, can, he, can, he will come at some point that he has appointed, 
that we don't know, and we, our responsibility is to be ready. And so our mindset really should be that I'm going to live every day thinking today might be the day that Jesus comes back. Today might be the day of his return. And imagine if we did this really well, if we were a church body that said, okay, we wake up in the morning, all right, Jesus, today could be the day. I can't wait. But while I am waiting, what do you want me to do? Where would you have me? Where am I going? Who do you want me to love today? Who am I leading towards you? Where am I using my gifts and my talents that you've given to me? How am I building my relationship with you so that I am I'm waiting on, you know, I, that I'm the bride of Christ that you want me to be. That I'm waiting patiently for you, but in obedience in that. Imagine what we, our lives would be like if we did this, if this were really our, our attitude. You know, I think we get so caught up in, in the everyday that we miss out on this in such a big way that we, we forget, you know, we, some days we completely forget about Jesus and what he's doing. But our attitude should be, Jesus, what would you have for me today? What do you want me to do today? So uh, for, as, as we're closing out here, there are a couple things I want you to focus on. I think for some of us, uh, the real message here, maybe for some of you who have never given your lives to the Lord, you've never made that decision to surrender to God and to, to really just completely give yourself to Him, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to make that decision today and right now to give your life to Him. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, so we're ready so we have that relationship with him. For those of you who have given your life to the Lord, I think the challenge for you is, you know, when you got a, when you got a guest come over, you, might, you think you might have a surprise visitor coming over to your house, you kind of clean up a little bit. You know, you pick up your house some, and me, I'm like, kids, get, on, get in the backyard or something. I don't know, do something. Quit being so wild. You know? But we're getting things ready. It might mean we're having to clean out some areas of our life and fill those areas with him and things that we know that we have going on in our life we need to get rid of. This is a pruning process to get ready for Jesus' return. So I want to give us a moment to think about this. We're about to go into a time of communion. And a lot of times we have communion, you know, set up in the back for you to take as you leave. Today I just want to do it differently. I want to do it in here together because I want to give us really a time to reflect on this. And really, I think one of the best things to do at the end of any message is for you to pray, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, where are you challenging me? Where, maybe where are the areas I need to clean up? Where are the areas... What, what is it that you need to hear from him? Let him speak his infinite wisdom into you. As we go into a time of communion, this, is, this time is really meant to be a time that we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. There's, if you're new with us, in, you're going to find in here there's these cups and it has like this little piece of cracker and juice in there that represent Jesus' body and his blood as he died on the cross and this is meant to be a time to remember but it's also a time it is a time to celebrate a time to reflect uh, that Jesus you know we're celebrating that Jesus did die for us but time to reflect on our own lives so I want you to use this time and, and they're gonna lead worship for us and then they'll they'll give us a little bit of time to think through this before we get into this last song but use this time to just 
think and ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What do you need me to do? What, what are you asking of me? Holy Spirit, what are you working in my life right now? Let's go ahead and close out in prayer.